invite you to take your scriptures and turn back, if you would, again to that Matthew passage in Matthew chapter 14. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, keep calm and carry on. How many have heard that? Yeah, almost everybody. Um, I don't know if you know the story behind it. Um, It was originally a phrase that was used as a motivation slogan uh, produced by the British government. Uh, in 1939, in preparation for World War II, it was a poster that was intended to raise the morale of the British public because at that time, as you well imagine, uh, they were threatened with widely predicted mass air attacks on major cities in England by the Germans in World War II. In early 2000s, not too many years ago, it kind of got a revival, that little statement did, and it traveled across the ocean to America. And now, for a while, just a few years ago, that slogan was printed about everywhere. Um, Modern translations, or I should say trivializations, uh, have come all kinds of shapes and sizes. People have used it to their own uh, purposes. Um, Even in COVID-19, I saw one that said, keep calm and wash your hands. One my wife particularly likes, and it says, keep calm and eat chocolate. Um, But they even have a parody of it, which is supposed to be the opposite, where it says, panic now and freak out. Um, Maybe that's more accurate to what people are experiencing today with all the things going on in our culture, in our world, and the situations that we face. But I think that truth of keeping calm and carrying on is something that we need in 2020 as well, not because we're facing... Uh, mass air attacks in a world war situation, but because people are experiencing, can I say, mass panic attacks. Um, Not because World War III is taking place on the outside, but because they're having a battle uh, on the inside as they face disturbing, at least minimally disturbing circumstances in our world. I think it would be nice, and, and, and I've counseled enough people who face anxiety and fear It would be very nice to a lot of people if all we had to do is quote a slogan like that and things would get better. I mean, if keeping calm and carrying on was just the uh, power or ability to be able to have those words come across your mind when you're facing a panic attack would be such a blessing to so many people. But unfortunately, keep calm and carry on is simply not that easy. I mean, it might have been something that should have been plastered to the boat of the disciples on the story that we read in the text in Matthew 14. I I think they would have enjoyed being able in the midst of that storm to keep calm and to carry on, but they didn't. And, and, And maybe this morning, if you're honest, you might even admit this morning that in your circumstances, in your anxiety storm, that you're struggling to keep calm, far from it, to carry on, almost seemingly impossible, um, if you look at the text carefully, and, and maybe it's true for you as well as it was for the disciples, that there are two storms really taking place in this text. One was outside the boat. The word the boat is used four times, and you look in the text there, verses 22 and 24, also in verses 29 and 32, and there was a storm taking place, a literal physical weather issue, and, and it talks about the waves and the wind and It was dangerous. It was life-threatening. And that storm outside the boat was taking place. But the storm inside the boat was even more dangerous. 
but in a different way because they were facing anxiety over the storm. They were facing fear about what might happen in the storm. And actually, for the disciples, um, it wasn't the first time that they faced an anxiety storm. You don't need to, but if you turn back on your own and study, not only is Matthew 14 record a very serious storm, but so does Matthew 8. And that's the one where Jesus is actually sleeping in the boat. And this one, he walks to them on the water. But they've experienced, they experienced two anxiety storms. And in both of them, Jesus tells them, or, or says to them, Oh, you of little faith. And both of them, the disciples panic and they fear. And even though they've learned this lesson one time before, uh, the same response happens, which indicates to me that we all need this lesson, don't we? That we all need the lesson, and and repeatedly so, over and over again, that when we face fears, when we face anxiety, when the the storms outside the boat come our way, when will we actually learn to have calm on the inside? When will we learn to actually be able to tackle properly and respond biblically to anxiety and fear storms that come our way? Uh, This was no small storm at all. It was a storm, the Bible says, here's what it it describes it as, is that the boat, in verse 24, by this time was a long way for land. So they were, in their estimation, pretty far from Jesus. Not much he could do to help them, or so they thought. The Bible says in the same verse that they were beaten with the waves. The word beaten in the Greek is a word literally that's used of the demons, when they asked Jesus, are you here to torture us before the time? And, and their boat literally was being tortured. It was racked with pain for a boat, so to speak, because the waves were beating them so hard. And, and then it goes on to say, because the wind was against them. I mean, you look around at the storm, and it was severe. It was a severe storm. And that's what was taking on outside the, going on outside the boat. So let me ask you as we start this morning. What's going on outside your boat this morning? What kind of anxiety storms are you facing? As you look at the past and there are some things that you've done and some decisions that you've made and some of them weren't the best and some of them maybe even ungodly or sinful and and you know you're still seeming to face repercussions and consequences from things that you've done in the past and you're still living with that and you still, even to this day perhaps, the storm's still brewing although it started a long time ago and you're not sure if it's going to end or when it's going to end. Maybe it's an anxiety storm you're facing right now. In fact, when I'm talking, you're having a hard time listening to me because you're already thinking about what thing is going on in your life and what event is taking place. Perhaps the storm clouds are just beginning to get dark on the horizon of your life. Maybe down the road, you know that there's some difficulties coming and you've been diagnosed and you're not sure whether it's surgery or how threatening it is or whether this job is going to work out for you or this relationship's going to fold. And, and maybe you know the storm is coming. So whether it's past, present, or future, you're facing a storm. Maybe it's a storm of cancer, joblessness, hopelessness. And if you're honest, the fear meter in your life is the needle's going pretty high. And like the winds, you look at situations that you face and you say they're blowing against you. You feel alone. You feel feel distant from Jesus because you're out in the middle and he seemingly is on the shore. And you feel, can I say it, tortured. You don't really know that 
how you're going to handle another day of going through an anxiety-filled life like your and panic attacks honestly physically maybe they're part of what you face regularly my question and i hope it'll be helpful to you this morning is what did the disciples learn about jesus and from jesus that helped them to be able to keep calm and carry on what can you and i learn from their life and their storm that'll help us to face the ones that we're experiencing in our life well here's what they learned and i want to teach you today by god's grace and that's this jesus is in complete control of every storm in your life from the beginning to the end let me say that again Here's what you need to learn in your anxiety storm. That Jesus is in complete control of every storm from the beginning to the end of it. So let's unpack that one part at a time. So number one, if Jesus is in control from the beginning to end, obviously here's the case, but we forget it often. Jesus is in control before your storm happens. Write it down. Before your storm happens. Look at the text in verse 22. Immediately, and there are three little uses of immediately in this text. Verse 22, 27, and 31. And those are pretty much an outline for us. So we're going to look at Jesus is in control before your storm. Jesus is in control while the storm is happening and after the storm is happening. Because remember our, 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 our teaching truth today? From beginning to end, he's in control. So let's look at each part of it. He's in control before it ever happens. Verse 22 says, immediately, encircle it, he made the disciples to get into the boat and go before him. Matthew intends, hear me, Matthew intends for us this morning, his readers, to know this truth. That the entire episode of the storm is a teaching moment that Jesus has a plan ahead of time for his disciples. It's something he's planned ahead of time. Let me show you what I mean by that. The little verb made, he made them get into the boat, is a verb that means to compel. It means to force. It actually is used at times when people exert pressure. In other words, he wasn't giving them options. It wasn't just a spur of the moment. Hey, I'm going to stay behind. You guys go across and hear my... No, he made them get in. He pressured them. He compelled them. It was like he was using his authority as their rabbi to say, you get in the boat and go over. See, you and I see often during the storm, God's visible hand in our storm because Peter did he was sinking because he lacked faith and he says Lord save me and it says Jesus reached out his hand and in those times in the middle of our storm that we see his visible hand are fantastic but can I tell you what we really need to do as well we need not only to see his visible hand in the storm we need to see his invisible hand before the storm We need to know that not only God can he come to us and help us in our storms, but he has designed our storms. He has planned our storms. He has prepared them for us. And that's helpful because you might be in a storm this morning and you're thinking, wow, how off guard this was. It's taken you by surprise. You didn't see it coming. And that's why you kind of get upset and the uncertainty and the fear because you didn't know that this was going to happen. Can I tell you this? Take consolation, because you may not know it was going to happen, but Jesus did. Jesus knew the storm was happening in their lives because he planned it. That's why he told them, you got to get in the boat. You need to get out on the sea, because without this experience, you're going to miss out on one of the most important truths and lessons that you're going to need when I'm gone, and you're serving me in the book of Acts. 
See, every one of your storms, hear me, every one of them and every part of them is designed and prepared for you by God. The word disciple is used twice in our text in verse 22 and 26 because this is not just Jesus eliminating things that get into your life that you'd rather not have. This is a discipleship lesson. And here's the lesson. You need to learn to be able to weather storms so that when they happen in your life, whether you expect them or not, you have the ability to be able to respond correctly and not let anxiety and fear control you. See, the disciples, they weren't just responding well to it because they didn't see Jesus' hand in it. But you can. You can understand and learn the lesson they didn't is that Jesus' hand is in your storm this morning. He's in it. He wants you to see him at work, not only outside the boat, but inside the boat. And, and, and here's what he's going to show you. See, what is God doing? Why would he design it? Well, I'm out in the middle. Then what would be Jesus be doing? If he's planning this, what is he doing? Well, look at the text. The Bible says, And after he dismissed the crowds, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. See, here's the picture. Jesus is in control of the storm because Jesus is controlled by God. And when you're controlled by God, when you're in charge, here's what Jesus does. He prays. He prays. See, verse 23 says, he went up on the mountain himself to pray. It's a very unique phrase in the gospel. In fact, it's only used four times to describe three events. One of them is obviously this text when he went up on the mountain to pray for the disciples. The other one is Luke 6, 12. He went on the mountain to pray, and that describes the event before he chose who would be his 12 disciples. Obviously a crucial decision. The other one is Luke 9, 28, where it says he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray, and they were, he was transfigured in front of them. And what is common, common in all of these texts when it says Jesus went on the mountain to pray is before a major event, Jesus reveals who he is. Mountains in Scripture, mark it down for yourself in your own study. Mountains in Scriptures are places where God reveals himself. Just think about all that we learned about who God is at Mount Moriah and Mount Sinai. And God gave the tank. Mount Carmel, when fire came down from heaven, he's the God, not Baal. Mount Calvary, Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Trans... They're all places where God teaches us who he is. As you read the text, you might ask, well, what in the world was Jesus praying about? I think this is what he's praying. He's praying on the mountain that the disciples would not miss the lesson of who God is in the midst of their anxiety storm. See, it's possible, isn't it? You can be so fearful this morning, so filled with anxiety, you don't know what's going to happen. You, have, you feel out of control. And all you're worried about is what you're learning from the circumstances or how you can get out of your circumstances. But God says you're missing it. What I want you to learn in your anxiety storm is me. Me. The purpose of Jesus being in control of your storm is so that you can learn to know him better if you let him. If you let him. See, your stormy marriage right now, it's not an accident. It's an appointment. 
God wants you in your difficulties of marriage to learn to know him better. See, your spouse's death, a loved one passing away, it's not an accident. It's an appointment. Why? Because God wants you to learn that your greatest love is not any person as great as they are. It's him and that you really are dependent on him. Your financial problem is not an accident. It's an appointment. God has allowed that storm to, control, to get into your life. You know why? He wants you to realize that you won't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, your health issue and crisis you face, it's not an accident. It's an appointment. God wants to teach you to number your days. He wants you to know that you're not promised of tomorrow. He wants you to know that you have this 24-hour life to live for him. Will you do it? See, he wants to teach you about who he is. And that's why you have to understand this. Jesus is in control before your storm happens. Otherwise, you're going to think this is random. You're going to think it's by chance. You're going to miss and, and not even think about the purposes that God has in it for you. So when you know that, let's build on it, you're going to have a second thought, and that is this. Jesus is in control while your storm happens. Now, we usually set aside the first one because we're so interested in this one. But can I tell you this? You're going to miss the lessons in the second point if you don't grasp, grasp the first one. So in our text, the next thing Jesus reveals to his disciples in their anxiety storm is that he is not only in control but he is up close. Jesus is not only over the storm for you, he is in the storm with you. It's a lovely verse, truthfully. In 14.25, it says, he came to them. Now, I sat back and thought of options. You know, Jesus healed the Roman centurion's servant from a distance. Do you not think that Jesus could have stayed on the shore? And by the way, From the northern tip of where he was to the northern tip of Galilee where the boat was, because it says it was out in the middle, was about three and a half miles. He's going to have to walk that and and, and not on solid ground. And, And could he not have said from the shore, peace be still, and it was all calm? They would have known immediately who did it. Couldn't he have done that? They would have been impressed to some degree and probably learned some sort of lesson, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Get this. Three and a half miles away in a blinding storm where the wind and the waves and the rain are there. Notice this. The Bible says that he came to them in the fourth watch of the night. In Roman standard time, that's three in the morning. Somewhere between three and six in the morning. So get this. He's three and a half miles away. There's a blinding storm. It's the middle of the night and it's dark. And Jesus comes to them. And get this. He comes to them and finds them right where they are, and he had no GPS. Is that not incredible? No, take heart in this. Listen to this. No matter where you are, no matter how afraid you are, no matter how anxious you are, Jesus knows where you are. See? He knows where you are, and there is no storm too great. There is no wind or waves too great, and the rain's too pouring... Listen, no matter how severe your storm is, Jesus knows where you are. And can I tell you, he will come to you where you are. 
How in the world did he see three and a half miles away through the storm to the location that where he was? You know why? Because here's what he wants you to know. Because I'm God. <laughs> because I'm God. And that's why the Bible says in verse 24, he came to them, what, walking on the sea. It's mentioned twice, verse 25 and verse 26. I mean, yes, but both times. There is a verse that a commentator I read said that this is what it's referring to. When it, why did Jesus walk on the water? Because here's what it says about God, Job 9, 8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? See, only God, in the book of Job, only God can walk on the water. So Jesus does this. He reveals to his disciples in the storm that as God controls, the, God only controls the waves, but he can walk on them. See, he wants you to go from magnitude to magnitude. See, yeah, you can say generically, God controls the, the storms, but you know how in control he is? He can walk on them. He can walk on the waves, and the wind, it doesn't bother him. The storm, it doesn't make it, it's not making him anxious or afraid. And by the way, he's not just walking from here to the back of the auditorium. He's walking that way to Trenton. That's how far he's walking. On the wind, you know why? Because he's getting to you. He's getting to you. Now, listen to this. He gets to them in the boat. And he, you would think he climbs in the boat and stops the storm and it's over. No. He does do that, down in verse 32, but not yet. Why didn't Jesus, he gets to the boat, why didn't he just say, peace be still, and everything stops and the storm's over? Because isn't that what the disciples really want? Say it, isn't it what you really want? Don't you just pray to him in your anxiety and fear-filled times and say, God, here's what I want. Just would you calm this storm? Because all I know, I know you have to do is say the word, right? But he doesn't. Instead, they think he's a ghost at first in verse 26. And they scream out, and now they have a new kind of fear. Now they don't know who Jesus is and what he's all about. But Jesus is going to change that. And in verse 27, here's what he says when he gets to the boat. Not peace be still, but he, this is what he says and said. Take heart. Literally in the Greek, I am. I am. Don't be afraid. Now, obviously, the practical is there. I am with you now that I'm here, so you can take heart and you don't have to be afraid. But you know what? It's the same word Jesus uses every time he says who God is, his name. God says, I am. You know what God wants you to know this morning? That he's God. And he's in control of the storm. And he walks on it. And you don't have to be afraid. Let your storms, hear me, be a burning bush to you. It is God's revelation of who he is. For Moses, it was the burning bush. It was the angel outside of Jericho for Joshua. It was on the fire coming down for Elijah and Israel on Mount Carmel. And let your anxiety storm be a place. And pray this, God, don't just stop my storm. Let me see you in my storm. Let me see who you are. Let me see the intricacies of your power and your sovereignty. Psalm 77, 19 says about God, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet the footprints of yours we're not seen. You can't see footprints on water. But God can walk on it because of who he is. 
You see, Jesus had the ability to be with them in the storm. And can I tell you this morning in an encouraging way, he's with you. If you know him, he's with you. He's with you in every situation. But listen to this, not just to calm your storms, but to teach you how to be like him in them. What if, what if the worst thing about your life being controlled by fear and anxiety is that it stops your progress in becoming more like Jesus? What if that's the worst thing? Not because you stay up at night, not because you get frantic. What, about, what if the worst thing, in God's opinion, of your anxiety storm is that your response to it is not allowing you to become more like him? What if the reason Jesus orchestrates the anxiety storms and the fear storms in your life is so that you can learn this lesson above all others? I want you to be like me. Peter figured it out. Because in verse 28 through 30, here's what he says. Lord, if, and the word is a conditional phrase, and it really should be translated or best translated since. Lord, because, because it's you. Because you are God, because it's you. Here's what, command me, because I'm your disciple, number one disciple. And everybody knows that the number one disciple and all disciples, their greatest desire and ambition is to be like their master, their rabbi. So here's Peter's idea, even in the middle of the storm, where God, God help us that that was our idea. Here's what Peter says, if it's you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. In other words, we would say today, if you can walk on water, Master, so can I. Because if my rabbi can do it, he must believe because he chose me to follow him that I could be like that too. See, Peter has stopped focusing on what the storm might do to him and is now beginning to focus on what the storm might do for him, namely to make him more like Jesus. And once in the story, once he acknowledges Jesus is there in the storm with him, that he's not a ghost and that he's actually, he's right there as his rabbi and his master and he controls it. See, his desire now is to be in the storm with Jesus. Not because it's not dangerous, but his greatest desire is not now about danger, it's about discipleship. What if your greatest prayers, what if your greatest desires, what if your greatest want in this anxiety and fearful situation you find yourself in was not to get you god to get you out of it but to god to make you more like jesus through it see too often in our anxious moments we focus on god changing our circumstances when in reality he wants to change us instead well the bible says Peter got out of the boat, and the second immediately in our text, in verse 27 says, and he got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. He said, I may be the only one, but I'm your lead disciple, and I want to show everybody else that we can be like you. So he gets out of the boat, and here's what the Bible says, and there's a contrast. In verse 26, it says, when they saw him, and then verse 30, it says, and when they saw the wind, and you know the story well enough, as long as Peter keeps his eyes focused on Jesus, right? He's walking on the water like Jesus. But, whoa. but the moment in the storm that he takes his eyes off of his rabbi and master, he begins to sink. And the text, again, a contrast, 
In verse 28, he says, Lord, Lord, let me come to you. And he, he says, Lord, you're in authority, you're in charge, so I'm going to come to you on the water. But in verse 30, he says, Lord, again, but not the same faith, this time in doubt. He says, Lord, I'm going to perish. Save me. See, in our storms, if we want to be like Jesus, here's what has to happen. We cannot focus on the winds and the waves. We have to focus on Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on him spiritually. Hebrews 12, 2 puts it this way, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher, the originator and completer of our faith. See, we have to eye him. We have to keep our eyes of faith on his cross. Thankfully, that when we fail, and we're all here to say this morning that we have, we've all could tell stories or experiences about in our anxiety storms and in our fear Severe storms, right? That we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. We all have. Aren't you grateful that he's still willing to pull you out and reach down with his hand and grab you when we lose focus? I, I lived in England, as most of you know, for a number of years with my parents and therefore got to travel in Europe pretty cheaply. One of the places my dad and I went one time was Austria and there was a place in the Alps that was beautiful and we got to ski and I had skied all my life, my dad as well, but never like this. And we went to the Alps, and we went up, and you took a, a, a lift so far, and then to get to the top, it was so high that you had to get in a gondola, and it was an enclosed area. You had about 12 or 15 people in it, and you went up on a cable, and it went up and up and up and up, and it was literally through the clouds. And then you got off at the top. It was so cold and windy, but that was nothing compared to how icy it was along the edges. It was about as wide as maybe two pews section when you went around the outside of the mountain like this down to get, you had to go down to get to the clouds, and it was about two pews wide, which seems like a lot of, but when you're going 40 to 50 miles an hour and it's icy and edgy, if you fall and slip, you will skid far more than this distance. And from there on down, it was 300 300 feet down to the next slope. So you can imagine, I, I'm watching this, and there's this big sign on top, and it says Black Diamond. I like green diamonds because they're for easy, they're easy ones. Then you get to the blue diamonds a little bit harder. But black diamonds, I, I've never gone on too many black diamonds because they're supposed to be professional level. Now, when we went to the top, we didn't know that. But they weren't going to let us down any other way. And I was worried, and I was hoping, where's the ski patrol? Because if I go down, I want them to be able to come up and get me. There was no ski patrol. So I got off the gondola, my dad put our skis on, and we started going down. Man, I've never gone so slow in all my life. It was edgy. It was afraid. I mean, and here's what I had to tell myself. Don't look at the sides. Don't look how far down it is. Focus on the slope. Focus on the slope. You keep watching it. And stay right in the middle as far as you can or as close to the mountainside as you can. And here's my dad. and he, we're, we're going down. People are zipping by us. I mean zipping by us. Not us. We're going slow. I tried to snowplow the whole way down almost. I was, it, it was terrifying, honestly. But finally we got down through the clouds and down to normal skiing area. Oh. But you know what got me through? Focus. Because if I looked around... And not the slope, I don't know what would have happened. 
See, here's what God says. I know some of you may be going down the black diamond right now in your life, and you feel that black diamond. I mean, you feel the icy edginess that you're close to a cliff, so to speak, in your life. I mean, you feel that. You know what it's like. You feel that panic. You feel that fear. That black diamond is nothing to joke about. How am I going to make it down? Can I have a faith that at least snow plows? And here's what God says. No, you can have more than that. Because you've got to realize these truths. Jesus is not only before the storm, he has it under control. While it happens. But listen to the third one. After it happens. Verses 31 and 32 and 33. Let me read them for you. Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, these are the words that the disciples in this boat have been waiting for. The wind ceased. <laughs> Jesus finally gets into the boat after the discipleship lesson. He gets in, and the Bible doesn't even say he says anything. Now, other passages do. I don't know what he said, if he said anything. But just him getting in the boat with Peter, the wind stopped. Everything that was severe and awful and that they panicked over was gone. Just because Jesus was there. And they say this in the boat. They all start worshiping. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy? After the storm and and things calm down like that, they break into a worship service in the boat, right there, right after the storm. And what what is it that they discover? See, you know why Jesus is in your storm after it happens? Because he's still trying to reveal who he is. He's still trying to tell you something even more about God as you look at him in the storm. And as you face the storms of your own, you know what it is? Here's what they said. They all got together. Here's what we conclude. Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, if you know anything about Matthew's gospel, that is a big deal. Because the theme of Jesus being the Son of God starts and ends this book. Jesus was in the temptation in the wilderness. The devil comes up to him, and here's what the devil says. If you're the Son of God, in Matthew 4, twice it says it to him. Later on, the demons say, what do we have to do with you, Jesus, O Son of God? So we know the devil knows Jesus is the Son of God. They got that revelation down. The demons know Jesus is that Son of God. Book ended on the other end of Matthew's gospel. In chapter 26, Jesus is on the cross, and here's what they say to him. If you are the Christ, the Son of God, come down from that cross. 2740, if you are the Son of God, Come down from that cross. 2754, the centurion at the cross, not Jewish, not religious, the Roman centurion says this, truly you are the son of God. Do you see how it frames it out? See, Jesus is in the storm and he wants his disciples to know this, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to have anxiety, you don't have to have a panic attack. You know why? Because here's what the storm has taught you. I am the Son of God. Fast forward to the end of the book, the exact same words, not coming out of the worshipers in the boat's mouths, but a Roman centurion who says the identical phrase, truly you are the Son of God. And guess what? God says, you know what storms are for? So that you will know, whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, that the answer to your fear and anxiety in life is me. 
the Son of God. And see, can I tell you this? Jesus came and took the most severe storm that you'll ever face, and that's the cross. And when he's dying on the cross, the Roman centurion says this, you know my anxiety and fear about my life? I look at Jesus on the cross, and here's what I say. Peace comes through him. Truly, this man was the son of God. You know, at the time, the Caesars were considered the son of a god because Julius Caesar was considered a god, and his son Augustus, who was reigning, was the son of a god. But this Roman centurion, he divorces himself from all of that and says, no, no, not Caesar, Jesus. See what he learned? Because on Mount Calvary at the cross, another revelation was given. And the worst storm, the storm of your sin and mine, Jesus took your storm. He died for your storm. And he wants you like the centurion to say, Jesus, even in that storm, the worst storm of all, you are the son of God. See, maybe you're here this morning and you've never come to that revelational understanding And your storm and your anxiety, all you can see is how you're going to get out of it. And Jesus says, no, I brought you in that storm. And then I brought you here this morning because you know what? I want you to learn I'm the son of God. I'm the only answer to your storm. And maybe this morning he wants you to, you're here because he says to you, don't doubt anymore. Have faith. Believe in me. Trust in me that I took your storm on Calvary. I paid for your sins and your shame. And if you put your faith in him, not only can he deliver you from your daily storms, but he can deliver you from your eternal storms if you put your trust in him. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and in our invitation a little bit when they sing our concluding song, The Solid Rock, You have that little card I gave you. See the boat on the stage that reminds you of this stormy story. I'm going to give you a chance to get out of your pew. Take your anxiety card and throw it in this boat. Just walk right up here and put it in the boat. And by so doing, here's what you're saying. Jesus, I believe you're sovereign before, during, and after my storms. I trust you. And here's what your prayer is when you put it in there. And take my anxieties and help it make me more like you. And as you throw it in there, maybe this morning you're saying this, and I've never trusted you, not as my Lord and Savior. And and here's what I know. If I'm going to ever face the eternal storm and get through it, I need what you did on that mountain so long ago at Calvary when you died on the cross. You took my storm. And in putting in there for some of you, you might be saying this, truly You are the Son of God. And I put my hope and faith and trust in you alone for eternal life and forgiveness of sins and for salvation. You do that as God speaks to your heart, whatever that is. Anytime during the song, as invitation, while we sing, you just come up, you can put it in there and make your prayers and your statements to God this morning. Father, help us. There are many here this morning, whether it's on the main floor or in the balcony, facing anxiety, fear storms, and they're fierce, torturous. But I pray, Father, that through your word this morning, that you've revealed yourself to them, that they now see more clearly who you are 
and what that means for them as they face this storm. And for those who might be lingering on the decision of whether they need to commit their lives to your lordship and know that and trust the fact that you are truly the son of God, may they come this morning and find faith in your son. And for those who are Christians and know who you are, But like the disciples, like all of us, need this lesson repeated. Father, I pray that as they put their cards in the boat, they might live out a different way in their storms, the Jesus way. And we'll thank you for these rich blessings, for it's in his name we ask it. Amen.